Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Defense! Defense! All the hard work, let's go! College football today. We are set for a heavyweight showdown. Number two, Clemson. Number one, Alabama. Monday night doesn't get better than this. Welcome to College Football Today, brought to you by BetDSI, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Gabe Morenci, and former Auburn and Akron head coach Terry Bowden in studio with us. We're going to be breaking down the national championship game for the next three hours. Gentlemen, we saw some great bowls, great playoff games. Alabama, Clemson stepped up, dominated their opponents, but I think we're going to have the stage is set really for a great national championship game, fourth meeting Monday night. This is the epic heavyweight battle that I think all of us expected. I mean, these are the two best teams in the country. We saw that mm. last weekend. We expected both Alabama and Clemson to win. A little more comfortable than I had hoped for. Yeah. Wanted to see more entertaining second-half games. Joe, I thought Clemson was dominant. I mean, that was the one game. If I thought one of these two playoff games was going to be competitive in the second half, thought it would be Clemson-Notre Dame. Didn't happen. That Clemson defense, even without Dexter Lawrence, from start to finish, suffocated Notre Dame 30 to three in that matchup, and it sets up, as you said, fourth straight. These are the two epic programs. This is the game I want to see. Coach, when you look at this matchup as a whole, people, I've heard rumbling saying, oh, we don't want to see Alabama, Clemson, but when you get the two best teams in the nation playing for the title, I mean, it doesn't really get better than that, does it? This is the way it's supposed to be. You've got the two most deserving teams in the game, both 14-0, both with undefeated records, a chance to be, what, the first team in this part of the a century to have 15 wins are the most deserving but they're also the most talented. There is more NFL talent on the outfield. You're going to feel you're watching a Sunday game, and after a year or two, you'll be seeing most of these guys on Sundays because these aren't just the most deserving two teams. They're the most talented two teams, and I think it's a very even matchup. There may not be equality throughout college football as much as the NFL, but there is equality here. There is equality in these two teams, and these are the right teams for an exciting football game. When you look at this matchup as well, when you look at last week's games, I mean, both teams jumped out to big early first half leads and really coasted in the second half. These teams want to start fast, especially Monday night, to get the pregame jitters out of the way. But I was very impressed, not only with the defense is rich, but how both quarterbacks stepped up and showed poise, especially on a national stage. Yeah, it's a great point, Joe, because one of the question marks that we had, two question marks that we had, two wild cards were, what will Tua's ankle be like, right? We haven't seen him since the SEC title game, had it surgically repaired, was in that boot for month uh, for most of December. So how mobile was he? I thought his footwork was outstanding, the way he stepped up in the pocket, planted. He was on target. That was the Tua that we saw throughout the regular season that looked as if he was coasting to a Heisman Trophy, 24 of 27, more touchdown passes than incompletions in that game. And then on the, on the other side, the question was, Well, Trevor Lawrence, young kid, true freshman in high school last year. Is this moment too big for Trevor Lawrence? Quite the contrary. I mean, this kid to me is now a true freshman playing like a redshirt junior. Coach, when you break this game down from a coaching aspect, I mean, what can you learn from last year's playoff loss that maybe Dabo and the coaching staff, now it was a different quarterback with Kelly Bryant, but now you have a a, a pure pocket passer in Trevor Lawrence that could attack that secondary for Alabama. What do you think certain nuances or certain takes from last year's game? Well, I think with a quarterback uh, like like this one, as opposed to last year, he's going to be one that sits in the pocket. You've got to screen a little bit. You've got to dump it off. You've got to make sure where his legs don't really get him out of trouble he gets a quick dump off he gets the ball out of his hands quickly to avoid that great pass rush by Alabama that he's got to do you know you mentioned Alabama and the fact that the quarterback Tua could be hurt we don't know if that's a good thing because hurt tends to go in there and make something happen so I mean that's one of the storylines if he's hurt 
is that make it even better for Alabama or that make it interesting? And I think the fact that uh, the young freshman at Clemson, uh, the fact that it gets bigger and bigger, uh, these are two very talented quarterbacks, but there is a little bit of difference in the postseason experience level of the two. When you look at both coaches, too, they know each other well. Mm. They've coached, and now this is, will be the fourth meeting. More pressure on Nick Saban going for that illustrious seventh national championship to catch Bear Bryant, or more pressure on Dabo looking to knock off Nick in this spot. I think there's more pressure on Nick in this a- question. In, in this type of atmosphere because of the history on yeah. the line. And, and, and he's the favorite. I think the expectation, the pedigree, really sits more with Alabama these days than Clemson. The only thing I'll say about Dabo, I love both of these coaches, both personally and professionally. The culture that Dabo has created, we spent time with him a couple of years ago. I've interviewed a lot of his players. I know you have as well. This is a cultural shift that has taken place. They expect to win. Kids want to play there, not mm-hmm. just because it's a stepping, not only because it's a stepping stone to the NFL, but because the culture is so strong at this point. So I love what Dabo has done. Nothing you could say about Nick. Nick's been phenomenal as well. The one thing I'll say about Dabo is if you want to move into the upper echelon, if you want now Urban Meyer has stepped aside, if you want to truly be the next best thing to Nick Saban I think you need that second national championship now does that mean more pressure I don't know but I I I think this really really matters to Dabo on Monday night They've recruited eerily similar. I mean, Nick has done it better than anybody on the defensive side of the ball, but when you look at Clemson's defense as a whole, I mean, they've stepped up now four straight years. They lose top-ranked talent to the NFL, and all Dabo and Brett Venables have done is recruit and coach that talent up. I mean, they really have, I think, the eerily similar type of program to what Nick has built in terms of that foundation in Tuscaloosa. Well, I mean, every time Dabo looks for somebody for inspiration, he looks to Alabama. That's where he went to school. My brother Tommy was his position coach there when he first began. He's from Alabama. He's a part of Alabama. And he and he kind of makes his uh, program very much like that. Uh, Nick brought the NFL draft philosophy to college football. They study every little detail. It becomes a science with Nick. And I think they've kind of turned football around. As you see right now, more players in the NFL from Alabama than any other team in college football. But what a what a matchup this is. You mentioned uh, how big this game is for uh, Nick Saban. I coached in Alabama. I coached at Auburn. I coached against Alabama uh, for five years. This is huge because Bear Bryant, in the college football circles, he is recognized as the greatest coach of all time. Six national championships. And in Alabama, that that's everything even more so. Uh, and now you've got Nick with a chance to beat that record. And to go ahead of that, and so that is huge in circles, and most coaches recognize the same thing, that he's about to walk in territory that has never been walked in Mm -hmm. before for a long, long time, and that's critical. And, of course, Dabo, to me, to me, as you look at these two coaches, just in a, in a nutshell, you've got a little more stoicism, a little more process in Nick. He's very down-to-earth. You, you don't want to distract. He's focused. Then you've got you've still got youthful enthusiasm with Dabo. He's getting older. You know, my brother was the head coach at Clemson, and Dabo was his coordinator, was his staff member for 10 years. And I've known Dabo forever. But he still brings that kid type of youthful enthusiasm to the table for playing this game. And I think that's going to be his, his advantage. His team is kind of that youthful enthusiasm. We can do anything. But you've got Nick who says, hey, we've been here before. We know the process. We understand why people, kids come here to get out in three years and play in the NFL. And this is a part of that process. So it's an interesting difference in these two teams. But I think it all goes back to that Bear Bryant. There's a Bear Bryant mystique behind this all that kind of carries both coaches. It's interesting because when you look at Bear Bryant, six national championship. I mean, in the modern day, he's got a factory now. I mean, he's just pumping out top 10 talent each and every year. And all they do is reload and, more importantly, make it to the college football playoff. I mean, it really is fascinating in terms of today's landscape. To see two dynasties now being built because years ago, I think the landscape was a lot different. Now you have kids one and done or two years, they're gone. And now the way he coaches that talent up each and every year is phenomenal. I couldn't agree more. And I know Coach could speak to this in greater detail than I can. But I think to do it in this age... It's such a different time. I know every era brings different challenges, but when you talk about scholarship restrictions that exist today that didn't exist during the Bear Bryant era, the distractions that exist, the social media age that we live in, the more likelihood that kids are jumping to the NFL or transferring. Transfers are far more... uh, uh, 
common than they yeah. were in the past. So there's so many challenges today. You now have a stratified college football in which out of the 130 teams, you have a lot of different options where talent can go. Back in the day, it was really more of a tightly packed dozen or so teams that yeah. you wanted to go to, the Texases, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the USC's. I think it's tougher what Nick is doing today. Right. Then that's to take nothing, obviously, away from Bear Bryant. No, I think you have to give credit to Nick. If you look at the coaches that followed Bear Bryant, most failures, most guys, I mean, Gene Stallings won a championship, but most guys didn't quite make it, couldn't carry on that legacy or the level of, victory, of success that they had to have. But Nick seems to have the right ingredients. I know when I was a football player at West Virginia in a Mountaineer, he was a defensive backfield coach. He must have been 26 or 27 mm. at that time, but he got there earlier. He worked later. You could look as a player and see this guy's different. This guy puts in a different time frame. He works a little different schedule than everybody else, and you could see it back then. And somewhere along the line through his NFL experiences and through working with good people, he understood that you can't just be a great coach and a hardworking coach. You've got to go to a football program that has the ability to give you the resources. He goes to Michigan State at a time when they had so much difficulty surpassing Michigan, but he wins just enough to get him to the one school that can give him everything he wants, LSU. They give him everything he needs facility-wise. He wins a national championship. Miami Dolphins, they don't give him the control he needs because he needs to make sure he controls things. He gets back to Alabama like LSU. It's the other school that whatever you need to be successful, you can get. If you look at their facilities, if you look at how much emphasis they put on football, you know, up here in New York City, there's a lot of pro teams around. In Alabama, there's only one thing. That's college football, recruiting, and spring football. I guess there's three sports, college football, recruiting, <laughs> and spring football. Now he's at a place with his work ethic, with his background uh, in the NFL, and the process that goes with that at a place that says, Nick, what do you need? We'll give you what it takes to win. You make sure we get there. And I don't want to say the perfect storm because they didn't make it in that one, but it was the perfect bringing together of elements that uh, when you see them, you see Nick's background, you can understand why he's been the guy to now take them back to a level they haven't seen since Bear Bryant. Yeah, and to piggyback off of what Terry said, in terms of just be the culture now, it, it, it's expected to win each and every year. If Alabama doesn't make it to the college football oh. playoff, you're a failure. Yeah. I, I mean, so that's the pressure that he's really set the bar for, and, and you see teams like Clemson and now look at the other teams like LSU I mean LSU's chasing Alabama had a very successful season 10 and 3 overall but to chase that bar that Nick has set within the SEC is unbelievable yeah. to say the least but you got to look to it and to go back to the comparisons of the two they've been in the playoffs four straight times that they played against each other what the uh, three times in the championship game they played against each other but look how prepared both teams were last week. They got ahead, what, 31 to 10 at halftime. One team, uh, Alabama, 23 to, to 3. Uh, Clemson got Notre Dame. They came in expect, knowing how to play in this yeah. thing. So they do come in, in spite of all the history of their two schools being a little bit different, they come in as probably the most experienced playoff teams over the last four or five years in a country. And, and, and when you look at these types of players, these blue chippers that mm -hmm. they're recruiting, do you think, Coach, that, that – you know, they're even more amped up once we get to late December, January, because, you know, the Christian Wilkinses, yeah. the, the Travis Etienne's, the Trevor Lawrence's, they're thinking championships when they get to Clemson. Alabama, same thing with those players. So do you think it's like, okay, now we're ready? Now, the regular season, I think, would be a little tougher to motivate yeah. them. Once you get to the playoffs, I think it's got to be. I think uh, the higher up you go in getting a five-star recruit, the more they're, they are focused on winning championships, loving to compete, loving to show people they're number one. And when you're going to Alabama and now also when you're going to Clemson, you're going there for a reason, to be number one, to show people you're number one. And so everything, nothing gets done now until you get to the postseason, until you get to the championship game. But as you look at great athletes in the NFL, NBA, any sport, you see how much they rise to playoffs, they rise to the championship series. That's what great athletes do because that, in their mind, that's what they're playing the game for, to play for the championship in the biggest arena. And now that's what these two teams have. They're playing in the biggest arena of college football. And when you see the landscape now, I mean, we saw UCF play LSU toe-to-toe. -to -toe. They lost that matchup 40-32. to I'm still not in favor of expanding the playoffs yeah. in terms of expanding it to 8 or yeah. possibly 10 or even 16 because, in my opinion, the regular season will be non-existent and takes away, really, from the matchup that we have on Monday night with yeah. the two best yeah. teams. I mean, you're going to hear arguments on both sides, but after last week's bowl performances, I don't think we should expand the yeah. Yeah, in any capacity. You, you might be convincing me. I, I mean, the more I watch the postseason, I mean, I've, I've kind of flirted with the idea of eight. And, and my, my thought has been, 
more meaningful football in December is better. I'm just not a huge bowl fan, as you know. I think it's gotten a little too big. Love when the smaller schools get their opportunity. Those are my favorite bowl games. You know, show me in Eastern Michigan against Georgia Southern. Great, great football game. I have no problem with that. But when you start to get the Power Five teams at six and six, I think you see a, a level of lethargy, a level of disinterest amongst a lot of those players. Kids now skipping the bowl games. I'm torn on this. The one thing I think is sac- uh, is sacred to me is the regular season in college yeah. football. If anything's going to mess with that, I'm I'm in favor of keeping it the way it is. I, I'm close, but I still would like eight. I would what like eight because because I, I coached at the mid major, and I've, right. I've been a head coach over 25 years. Division three, Division two, II, Division one, AA, all playoff levels where you play yeah. 16 games possibly. So I know even private schools, very academic schools, reach a playoff where they get 15 games. That's not out of the usual for them. I just, the reason is I got to Akron, which is a mid-major, and you watch Central Florida, and you watch uh, Western Michigan in the past, or, or Louisville in the past, you see, te- or Boise, you see teams that go undefeated, and they can't play, there's, they're, 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 they're not, this is not an inclusive system. One more game, eight, to get to two, to me would add a, a, a non-Power uh, 5 yep. team, and I just, that's the one thing I missed. Now, if you could somehow show me that there was a realistic chance for a zero-loss team to get it over a one-loss Power 5, it's not going to happen right now. We see that it doesn't happen, but I believe, the only thing I would believe, that you could have an eight-team playoff, Christmas weekend first, January 1 game second, the weekend coming up third, and still have every bowl out there just like we do, and it would work. I'm not, I, I enjoy the four. I remember when we, we had nope we had the BCS yeah and there were major conference commissioners said I don't ever want to play off yep. I don't ever want to play off and now they're saying I really like this step playoff. in the right direction yeah. for yeah. sure well so yeah. so this I like I'm just saying is from a standpoint of a coach who has been in the SEC but has also coached at the mid major level it's hard to look your kids in the eyes and say men we're going to go undefeated and play for a national champion they know that's a lie and right now that is a lie when we come back we'll be talking about Clemson's defense keep it where it is Joe Lisi Rich Sermonello and Terry Bowden. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Back on College Football Today, brought to you by BetDSI, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, and former Auburn and Akron head coach Terry Bowden, breaking down the big game, Alabama and Clemson. Coach, when you look at tendencies, I think the team that wins this game Monday night will have to break tendency in terms of whichever team is more aggressive early on, taking chances outside their normal game plan. My opinion, In my opinion, that's the way you're going to have to win this ballgame Monday night. Well, that's a great point, Joe. Tendencies are so critical this late in the season because each team, each staff has 14 games to evaluate. Now, all good teams have tendencies. Tendencies mean you're good at something. Always run behind the right tackle on short yardage. Always do this on the left hash. If you're good at something, you tend to do that over and over again. So it's not bad to have tendencies. It's bad not to know your tendencies because the key is to study tendencies very much, know what they are, so then a critical game like this, 14 games to study, and the other team spends all their time stopping your favorite play, that's when the great coordinator, the great play caller, will call the other play. He'll call the play that's just the opposite of that play, and that's when you must break tendencies. You must do something a little different. Maybe you tend to throw the ball on first down 70% of the time. You might run the ball because they're going to be dropping people off into coverage. So you really need to study your tendencies because with somebody having every single game on your season – 
you have if you're any good at what you do you have tendencies some people think it's bad to have tendencies no it's great to have tendencies it's bad not to know your tendencies and when you look at Dabo I mean a couple of years ago he lost that national championship game because Nick Saban rolled the dice kicked an onside kick and you look at Nick Saban's I want to say progression and success against ACC teams nine and one against the ACC since 2007 which is a dynamic statistic the only team to knock off Alabama was Clemson and so I think this team's going to come in confident. I think the one thing when you look at Dabo, that's the one thing they, they fear nobody. I mean, if there's one team that does not fear Alabama, it is Clemson. And that's, that's a, testament, a testament to what Dabo and, and Brett Venables have done there. There's no question about it. Uh, one of the discussions we had throughout the season on Saturdays, I remember bringing it up in November, is Clemson started to play at an Alabama level. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that didn't happen in the Syracuse game. Syracuse yeah. game, you know, first game without Kelly Bryant. Trevor Lawrence goes down. Chase Bryce comes in. Travis Etienne has a strong second half, and they survive Syracuse. Ever since that game, nine consecutive victories by 20 or more points. Yeah. And they really are playing on both sides of the ball. Uh, special teams, not so much. But offense, defense... They're playing at an Alabama level of dominance. That's something that we haven't seen from anyone outside of Tuscaloosa in the past decade. And I think that's what makes Monday night's game so delicious. When you look at the time in terms of preparation, Coach, from uh, the uh, conference championship games on December 2nd to the semifinal games on the 29th, there was about four weeks. How do you prepare a team? Because I was very impressed by the way both teams came out. I mean, they did not miss a beat from the end of the regular season until the layoff, until they step on the semifinal playoff game. I think that only comes from experience because it, it takes experience to understand how to go from a season end to a couple of weeks off or maybe three weeks off and to play a game and not to practice too much. You've already been through a, a huge season, 12, sometimes 13 games. And now how much more do you practice? How much do you rest their legs? How much do you do classroom work and how much do you repetition? Because again, football is a game of 11 people repeating over and over again, something that they must all do together. So you have to be on the field uh, a good bit of time. It takes time and experience to do that. That's why these teams seem to repeat and repeat once they get to that level because they understand how to prepare for a bowl game. And and I'll say this, even for non-championship level bowl games, they're becoming more and more important because they represent what you're going to do going into to next mm. year and how important that is uh, in regard to how you prepare for, for that bowl game. When you look at this matchup too, I always have a feeling that uh, an unheralded player yeah. will step up. The Hunter I mean, Renfro yeah, syndrome. Yeah. But yeah. he stepped up, though, against oh, Oklahoma. Yeah. He was basically yeah. non-existent for much of the year. Higgins and Ross got a majority of the catches. You really didn't hear a lot from Hunter Renfro. And, oh, by the way, a 32-yard reception to really catapult that offense into scoring a, a touchdown on that drive. So I always feel that in these type of games, especially when you game plan for a specific player or type of scheme, this is where the unheralded star will step up. And that's why a player like Jalen Hurts might be on the radar in terms of certain packages. Well, there, there was no better example than yeah. Tua last year, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and you talk about breaking tendencies. That was that was breaking tendencies 101. I mean, yeah. you take the true freshman quarterback, the lefty, the more even more mobile than Jalen Hurts. You insert him into the second half, and he winds up winning the national championship game against Georgia. I, I have a couple of names uh, on the Clemson side. Isaiah Simmons is someone yes. on defense who continues to impress me more and more. He's a big kid, kind of a hybrid. Nick back outside linebacker mm-hmm. played extraordinarily well against those big wide receivers of Notre Dame. Someone is going to have to step up. That's my big concern on both sides. Which defensive back steps up against a step up against superior wide receiver talent, number one. And number two, although they're not completely off the radar, those Alabama running backs have sort of taken a backseat to the passing game this year, something I never thought I would say during the <laughs> Nick Saban era. But any one of those kids, we love Josh Jacobs. We think he's going to be a terrific pro. Damian Harris, Najee Harris, those are still weapons, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, accentuated a little Do bit. coaches hold back a little bit? Because we saw Nick Saban last year, Najee Harris, who was a freshman, came on 77 rushing yards, most of it in the fourth quarter in the overtime period. Do you hold a little back in, the, in terms of this type of game plan where a player that you might not have utilized for much of the year, now you incorporate him into the game plan with four weeks of preparation? Yeah, you know, I, I think you, I, I think it's not quite that uh, 
complicated. I think you play the guys that are ready to play. You you create competition. You want the guy that's playing the best at that time. And you got to remember, to be undefeated, you don't know which play was the most important play of those 14 games, which game was the most important. The most important one would have been the one you lost. Right. And so you make sure you play the very best people under every circumstance that you need to to win that game to make the next one even more important. But I will say this, talking about which guy is going to step up and be the new national hero. That was always one of my favorite motivational talks toward the end of a season. Hey, men, tomorrow you're going to play on national TV. Tomorrow you're going to play for a championship. The next day, one of you is going to be on the, on the lips of every talk radio show. Every newspaper is going to talk about you as you lay in bed tonight, as you visualize yourself making a play or maybe being called off the bench for the first time this year. Maybe it's going to be you that's the guy everybody in this country is going to talk about on Tuesday morning as having to be the guy that was the reason we won the national championship. Yeah, Joe, I, Joe, get me a helmet. I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to put, Let me see. I like that Broncos, Broncos helmet on. Put the Broncos helmet on. And, that, and that's why I think we, we're all looking at ETN on the offensive side of the ball yeah. and a dynamic playmaker averaging 8.2 yards right. per carry. Yeah. But a guy like Feaster, to me, is another guy yeah, under the point. radar because of his ability to catch the football in the short to intermediate passing game. They utilized two backs last year in terms of trying to neutralize Alabama's defensive front. So we'll see if they can do that in this ballgame because that's a name that I think could have some yards in this matchup. Well, and again, we're, we're at a point in the season where we're splitting hairs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are two undefeated teams, two epic heavyweights. This is not a quintessential uh, Alabama run defense. No. We've seen better run defenses. They're allowing 3.5 yards yeah. a carry. It's outstanding. But by the Alabama measuring stick, not at the same level that they're expected yeah. in the past. So I think Clemson will have a shot to run the ball, and if they do, certainly opens up a lot of RPO and a lot of uh, play action for Trevor. To your point, it's the highest rushing total of an Alabama defense, and we'll break it down when we talk about sure. Alabama, since prior to 2009. So you think, think about the, the dominant defensive yeah, fronts yeah. under Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt in his days there. I mean, to have the, the highest, I didn't know that stat. highest total since yeah. prior to 2009. Now, on the flip side, they do have other statistics that are in their favor since, you know, the offensive revolution that started with Lane Kiffin mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. But uh, I did want to get coaches' take in terms yeah. of we know players have pregame jitters, and, and those are usually erased after the first hit. In a big game like this, whether it be a big bowl matchup, Sugar Bowl, national championship, what do coaches do? Because Alabama, the Iron Bowl, you can't go out there and hit somebody. Is it after that first play call or first series that you really start settling down in terms of the game plan? You talk about the coach The himself. coach as a whole. You know, yeah. it's funny because in that game, I've had coaches on my staff at Auburn when we play against Alabama in the old Iron Bowl when it was played in right. Birmingham right. at Legion Field, the, the true Iron Bowl. I've had coaches throwing up in the bathroom before that game. <laughs> that, that's the, the, the nerves that's yeah. involved there and how much that game means and how big it is uh, and yet I, always when you go out on the field and the first the first time the first play is called you're too busy to think about anything but playing the game it's all about playing the game once it starts so you really don't think about a thing and I think the players don't think too much once you get to playing the game you, you're so grateful you're out of the locker room you're out of that waiting process where it's all attention and anxiety and all preparation and so I think that's the biggest thing once you go outside you just start playing the game this is what we've done for a long long time it's interesting because I, I read about that LSU victory about how they they were struggling. They were up 24 to 21 against UCF in that matchup. They brought out the big cat drill in the locker room. And that's what Eddie O did to rally the You see, I like that. I mean, oh, yeah. throw on the helmet. They're, yeah. they're in the, they're in the shower stalls in in the Fiesta Bowl and they're doing the big cat drill to knock off UCF. To me, that that would never happen yeah. in the NFL, number one. You yeah. would have the players' union involved. <laughs> but in number two, that's what separates the college game from the NFL in terms of being a business. And I think that's why Ed is so popular. Uh, you know, yeah. really a player's coach, I think there's a connection that's there wherever he has been, whether it's Ole Miss, whether it's USC in an interim role, and now at LSU, I think he has a connection with those players. He knows those kids. Terry, you know those kids. Yeah. By, by this time of a year, you know what buttons to push. And he knew that was something that could really maximize their potential in that game. And they played great in the second yeah, half. Yeah, it really is. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, wh- what is it about, about certain coaches yeah. that have a pulse on their team? And then you look at other coaches that just they, they, they just seem too business. Like I look at, talk, we've talked about Lovey Smith 
coming from the NFL to the college level, it doesn't seem like he a relates. disconnect. A There's disconnect. clearly a disconnect. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'll say this: I, I'm all for the enthusiasm. I believe that you talked about Ed Orgeron. I mean, it's it's sincere. It's down to earth. It's it's almost over the edge at times. And then you put him in Louisiana, where he's from, and where that how he talks, and he's Cajun. He's one of them. And when he can talk like one of them, he, he it becomes one of them. But I'll also remember one of my father's favorite uh, opponents and coaches that, that he admired and was close friends with, Tom Osborne. There was no nobody more stoic and didn't mm. even didn't do anything on the sideline but stand there. But you learn as you as you coach long enough over, and I've done it over twenty five years as a head coach. You can't have too many screamers. You got to have some, if you're a head coach, you got a lot of young assistants that are all over the place. You better let them do it. If you're a head coach and you're maybe Dabo still young enough that he's jumping around, he's high fiving, he's chest bumping, he's crazy legging or whatever they call that thing he does, you know, <laughs> then he doesn't need it. His assistants know to step back and, and don't take the show away. But you need a little bit of both of that stuff. But the main thing is be sincere and be be honest with them with what you do. Be be yourself. Uh, but I guarantee you, you got to bring that enthusiasm because that's a big, big part. You mentioned the difference between the NFL and college game. 18 to 22 year old young men react a little different than a 26, 28 year old veteran. It's got kids at home, got bills to pay, got a huge contract to worry about. It's still a little bit about just playing the game because you love to play the game. Yeah, and we we talk about offense, we talk about defense. Special teams could be a factor in yeah. this matchup. We saw for yeah. a few years ago, Kenyon Drake with a big kickoff return for a touchdown could really change the landscape or, or field position of a battle. And, and when you look at both teams, I mean, they've stepped up, but we know Clemson in years past has had some problems with field goal kickers. You look at Alabama, I mean, it, it, no matter how close they are, they seem to have some kicking issues, especially in title games. Look at last year in that ball game against Georgia. Alabama. So that, that could be a factor in this Alabama matchup. really can, you know, they, they can at least get in the discussion for any player almost anywhere in the country. You would think. You would think that. Go get a JC kicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, LSU went to it's Assumption so- College to get Cole Tracy. I know. Cole Tracy was an ace on special teams. I, I, I wonder sometimes, I mean, there's so few close games right. that either of these schools play, but I think that's different Monday night. I, I To your point, Alabama, in terms of special teams, coverage, return game, is ahead of Clemson, but both of these kickers have struggled. Greg yeah. Hugel, I think, is 11 of 17, so both of these kickers could be on the spot Monday night. But here's the thing, Coach. I mean, as a, as a player, you know, like, oh, we got to let the kicker. Here we go. Stay away from him. Don't <laughs> let him. Don't breathe on him. Don't look at him. Don't look I him mean, in the eyes. What are the coaches, I mean, when, you, when your kicker does go out there and you know a game is on the line, I mean, what's going through your mind in terms of that situation? Yeah, so many people go to the concession stands when there's an extra point. <laughs> As a head coach who's done this a long time and have lost games based on a missed extra point, it's not just the kicker, it's the long snapper. It's yeah. the holder. Yeah. These guys, which one's going to bobble? Which one's going to dr- drive a, a snap over somebody's head? I am riveted to the field every extra point, every field goal, because I know over the years there's one where one guy gets a little shaky and he makes a mistake. And I'll say this about kickers when you're recruiting. It's the hardest thing because – it's one of those things that on video, you just can't quite get a feel for what's flowing through their veins. Because a kicker is much like a putter in the PGA, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. you got to have ice water in your veins. And you can't see that on a high school video. Well, when you see a guy kick boom it every single time, you've almost got to have that guy come to your camp in the, in the summer so you actually watch him kick with you standing right in front of him. And I can remember the old story of Lou, uh, Lou Holtz's kicker saying he was standing there watching him in practice, like staring right at him. He says, Coach, you're making me nervous. And Lou says, well, I plan on being at the game, so <laughs> you better get used to me watching you kick. Uh, and so, But it is a very hard – it's a hard uh, – a position to evaluate when you got one, you know, you got one, but we all get a bunch of them every uh, through the years that can get 65%, 70%. And every time they step on the field, it's points. Every time they step on the field, usually it's field position or points, whether it be a punter or a kicker or kickoff. Yeah, and I think when you look at today's college football, I mean, years ago you would say, "Oh, you play for the extra, you play for the field goal to win the game." Right. Not anymore. Yeah. Now we just see high octane offenses score every time you get the football, and I think that's the the, the way the game has changed from a bowl season of back from when Terry was at Auburn till now is that we just see offenses want to dominate and dictate the tempo from the get go. 
Yeah, place kickers. Uh, place kickers are like a hidden advantage for yeah. smaller schools. Sometimes you know, sometimes you can you can get that overlooked place kicker and have a kid that's a difference maker in the MAC yeah. or in the Sun Belt. You know, Sun Belt. Sun Belt has had some great kickers over the years. But then and put seventy thousand fans or a hundred thousand fans. And, and to Coach's point, you right. just never know. Yeah. I mean, his technique might be you know precise and spectacular. But his ability to come through in the clutch, you won't know until it's Saturday. Well, your, your dad had Janikowski, right? He, he so. had Janikowski. He's had some good ones. Janikowski was, he could kick it 50 yards with either leg. You know, that was one of those <laughs> ones that you had one that was very, very unique. A first rounder that's a that's a, a, yeah. a field goal cooker. But, you know, another thing we're seeing today, too, is offenses know that other offenses are scoring points. And they're not willing to go for a field goal. They get to the 32-yard line. They get to a 48, 40, 52-yard field goal. They're going for it. Yeah, good they're point. going for it because you know three points is not going to keep up with the scoring. And that's part of what's happening with these fast-paced, up-tempo, change-of-tempo offenses where the offensive averages go up. There's less significant placed on a, a field goal kicker when maybe it, it ought to be more emphasis just to make sure that game, you know, you never know which game you're going to lose by one or two points. Yeah. yeah, if this game comes down to a field goal, if you had a pick, <laughs> I mean, I, I would I would lean Clemson just because yeah. when you saw last year's performance, I mean, yeah. Nick Nick almost pulled his hair out with that. If Nick loses Monday night because of a field goal kicker, he's going to be on the recruiting trail looking special teams on Tuesday. Well, we'll see. When we come back, we'll be breaking down Clemson's defense. Joe Lisi, Ritzer, Manello, and Terry Bowden live from Studio 34. Keep it where it is. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. are back on college football today hour one with joe lisi harry bowden and later on uh gabe Morenci will come in with his pick for yeah. monday night uh, if you like wagering on sports or never have and would like to try head on over to bet dsi they have wagering options for almost any sport you could think of including sides totals and player props where you could utilize your daily fantasy skills without salary cap constraints you can even wager on esports politics and reality tv joe what begins monday night the national championship game and The Bachelor. The Bachelor. For reality TV betting fans, <laughs> The Bachelor is Monday night. Or get an edge with live betting at BetDSI, where you can wager virtually any time during a contest, capitalizing on in-game circumstances. There are so many ways you can make money. Use the promo code FNTSY101 when signing up and get a 100% bonus deposit match. So head on over, open your account at BetDSI. That's promo code FNTSY. To get your 100% bonus deposit match. Put, well, in, put in 500, get 500 back. Well, a couple of player props on Clemson that I was talking about in Vegas on Monday night, uh, for Monday night, um, 22 and a half total completions for Trevor Lawrence. I think he'll blow through that. And two touchdown passes, two plus. So they're giving odds on that. Out Under over is two TD passes? Two, D, two TDs. Here's an interesting one, too, that I think under, but I want to get your take, is Travis Etienne's rushing yards, 85, which is, you think about it, this is a Clemson offense that's averaging 256 rushing yards per game. That's their highest rushing total, guys, since prior to 2009. When you think about some of the running backs, C.J. Spiller was there. I mean, they still never rush for more yards than they're averaging heading into this national championship game. And the offense is passing for 274 through the air with Lawrence completing 65% of his passes, 27 touchdowns, four interceptions. But I think they utilize ETN in the short to intermediate passing game to neutralize the rush of Alabama in the screening attack. So that's why I think under 85, but I think it's... I'm His all, total yards will be will be rushing, higher because, rushing, because of the correct, receiving side. Correct. I got you. I got so you. that's where I'm looking for this matchup in terms of how they game plan against that stout 
Alabama defense. Yeah, unders always make me worry because someone like Anthony yeah, could pop off 56 yards. Break a 90-yard run. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's, the, I, that's the one concern I, I would have. I think Clemson, I think that's the one thing when you look at there, and the fact that it's so balanced is critical. But ETN, the fact that he can break a big play, we're looking for a big play, an explosive play. And in big games like this, if you're looking at over history, turnover margin becomes critical. Who has mm-hmm. turnover? Where, where does a point change differentiate because of a turnover? And then, a, then an explosive play, a 50-yard touchdown run, a 60-yard pass. I think Alabama's receivers have big play potential. They make a lot of big plays, too. I think Clemson's running backs are much more of a big play type of team, long play as opposed to the, the uh, Jacobs power type of back. It's more of an NFL type back to yep. me. Uh, and I think those are factors. Uh, but turnover margin will be a big factor in this ballgame. What's interesting, Rich, is, is that you look at this offense in terms of running the football. Last two games in the national championship game two years ago and, and last year in the playoff game, they could not run the football consistently yeah. last year to take the pressure off of Kelly Bryant. But this is a different type of offense with Trevor Lawrence at the helm. Alabama has to think pass first, and that can open up the running lanes for ETN. But you look at those wide receivers, Ross, you look yeah. at Higgins, both of those players combined. Over 95 receptions, 1,700 yards, and 16 receiving touchdowns. That's a dynamic effort for both players. Well, and again, two young players that, you know, one of the fun parts of college football and covering college football is to watch the progression of young kids the way they, you know, we, we follow them in the spring and then we watch them in fall camp and then the season begins and they're a little bit clunky. But now you look and Justin Ross, my goodness, I mean, he was unstoppable yeah. against a very good Julian Love led Notre Dame secondary. These are two big wide receivers. They're long. They can go up and make you know, plays above defensive backs. And again, taking nothing away from the Alabama defense, but this is not the same secondary than we've seen in the past as well. They are giving up a lot of big plays through the air. And to your point, Joe, with Trevor Lawrence's ability to stretch a defense and utilize those weapons, it's going to create more space for those backs as well. And, And that's what you see Clemson do, big plays and big plays. That's why I say in a game like this, how many how many explosive plays or big plays change change that line or change how the the game could outcome uh, just like a turnover? Neither of these teams turn the ball over very much. Neither of these quarterbacks throw interceptions. But what if if that becomes a factor, it will change the outcome of the football game uh, as you might see. But the passing game is is the big play possibilities are so important. And I think in a little bit that's kind of why Alabama is not running or as much yardage. They're throwing the ball so well. You have to go a little bit with what got you. You got to remember if either of these teams says, you know what, we're going to stop the run. We're going to do whatever it takes to stop the run. Then you better open up the game passing the football, especially on first down. Have you realized the only down that the defense has no advantage is first down? They absolutely have no idea. And usually in a big game like this, you better be throwing it about 60% on first down early in the game just to make sure you got things under control. And then you, you work from there. You work back to your running game. And so it, Although you want to be bounced, you're never bounced to start with, Harley. You want to be you want to take advantage of what they give you. And when the stats finally end up at the end of the game, the stats come out pretty balanced because you did what you're supposed to do. I think what both these teams are good at, because even Alabama rushes for over 200 yards, throws for over 300, both teams can run and throw it well enough so that the other team comes out there and changes the tendency or gives them something they have not ready to see, they can go to the other phase of their game well enough to, to overcompensate for that until they get that team back and off and play like they wanted to play. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I've always said that in order to attack Alabama's defense, if you want to run the football, it's not how many times you pass. The, you could pass the football 10 times, but if you're aggressive on first and second right. down, you open up running lanes later in that matchup. What I see a little bit differently from two years ago with Deshaun Watson at the helm now with Trevor Lawrence is the tight end. Not that dominant yeah, tight end yeah. like Jordan Leggett Thought that about we saw a couple thing. years ago where you can mismatch him on nickelbacks or linebackers to create mismatch problems, especially on dig patterns. And I think that that could be a factor for this Clemson offense should they start slow in this ballgame because they don't have a go-to right. guy like that. If they take away Ross and Higgins on the outside, where's your weapon underneath? Yes, we know it's Hunter Renfro, but in terms of that deep 
uh, dig pattern, that big body, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. That's what Watson had with Leggett a couple of years yep. ago. They have a tight end, but he's not as dominant as Leggett was a couple of years well, ago. Well, the tight ends in general in these last four yeah, matchups have been, is, you know, uh, have been accentuated because look at O.J. Howard. I mean, yeah. O.J. Howard was a stud against Clemson a couple of years ago. Jordan Leggett was a threat as well. That player does not exist for Clemson. So if you're talking about intermediate underneath routes, yeah. I think that's where you get to a Hunter Renfro. Not a tight end, not right. tight end sized, but for, for something underneath, I think Renfro is someone who will be making plays as opposed to the outside threat of T. Higgins and Justin Ross. If you don't get rid of the ball quickly in this game, if you don't hit the underneath route, the quick turnaround by a tight end, you've got Alabama that has 45 sacks. That sounds good till you get to Clemson. They got 52. <laughs> right. you got the two best sack teams in the country, to t- tackle for loss teams in the country, and the last thing you want want to be doing against either Clemson's defense or Alabama's defense is playing against the chains comes from sacks or tackles for losses that's why the tight end or inside slot receivers doing the quick routes that you can get to like you would do a tight end uh, that's critical in a game like this because these guys are so good at getting to the quarterback faster than they can get to the other teams on the league have given gotten to them in the past When I break down the film and you you watch these teams play over the last four years, I feel like Clemson's had the game plan in terms of attacking Alabama's defense vertically. That's how you neutralize the speed. Last year, they didn't do a good job of it with Kelly Bryant because they didn't have the type of quarterback that can make every throw. They they threw a lot of hitches, a lot of slam patterns, which really goes right into the strength of Alabama's defense because they can run sideline to sideline. Now with Lawrence, I think they're going to be very aggressive early on. I'm curious to know, though, I wonder, like, do you feel like it's better to script out the first maybe 10 or 15 plays in this ball game and see how it goes and then adjust? Or do you think it's better to be just aggressive early on, roll the dice without a scripted game plan, and see what really transpires in terms of Alabama's coverage and, and formation? I think Dabo knows with Trevor Lawrence he has a unique true freshman. Yeah. One, one of the more unique true freshman quarterbacks that I can remember. I mean, you and I have been covering this for a long time. Terry, obviously, yeah. longer. Uh, I, I don't remember someone as poised, as polished, as unflappable in the pocket as Trevor Lawrence. That was from day one. I remember this was a kid that was thrust into a situation in which a, a uh, junior quarterback in Kelly Bryant, who was very popular in the locker room, was was asked to take a yeah. back seat. And Trevor Lawrence did not in any way back away from that. He wasn't arrogant, but he was poised. Ever since he got that job, I thought he's done an incredible job. To Coach's point about a quick trigger, I mentioned on last week's show, second among Power 5 quarterbacks with the fastest release, just over two seconds, he gets rid of the ball. So Alabama will have that rush, but Trevor Lawrence is going to get rid of it quickly. You know, Trevor's made me kind of think, it wasn't long ago we all remember in the NFL where a rookie couldn't start. You had to have him sit yeah. the bench. That ended a long time ago. But a 19-year-old now, I don't. I know at Clemson they've never had a 19-year-old. I, I don't know if we've ever had a 19-year-old win the national championship. But that maybe the stat I read, a 19-year-old quarterback is what you've got at Clemson right now. But, you know, you think about the things that are going on right now. These kids grow up playing seven-on-seven. They grow up in video games, video football games where they learn to react, make adjustments. Mm -hmm. All these things teach them how to play in a faster game. You know how they say from high school to college, the game speeds up. And from college to pro, the game speeds up. It does. But these young guys come in so much more ready for that type of speed than they were in the past uh, that you're seeing guys like this. But I do think the, the, that Clemson's got an exceptional talent there that Dabo has said, you know, we can't wait. It's time. we got to go with it. And even Alabama, you've got to know when to pull the trigger because you've got an exceptional quarterback that was backing up another exceptional mm. quarterback. So as every league, whether it be junior high school, high school, college, or pro ball, the most important factor, the guy that touches the ball – 50% of every snap of the game, which is the one you're on offense, is the quarterback. That's why it still is the most important factor in any football game uh, at this point in time in the history of football. Yeah, when Marshall was here, he thought, too, the progression of the quarterback was due, in fact, to the targeting rules as well. When knowing that you're not going to get hit yeah. consistently each and every play or each and every week, you can stand in there and deliver the football. Okay, you might get hit one or two times, but you're not going to get that constant pounding. And for there, you we're seeing more confident quarterbacks at the collegiate level. That's a great point. Yeah. I don't remember Marshall saying that, but I, I think it's an excellent point. I, I think in the past, 
you knew you were going to get popped. I think that's less likely to happen these days, at least without there being a penalty or some kind of ramification, even the potential to be tossed from the game. And I'll take it even further because having just gotten through a season and and having two or three seasons where we've lost safety after safety to targeting calls, we're much more confident throwing the ball tightly, deeply over the middle because these safeties are finding out they have to just let the guy catch it and tackle him. They've got to hit him low and let his arms free as, a, as, a, as opposed to tackling through the ball in the head area where the ball is because of targeting. They, they're having to stay off of balls where you throw the vertical pass to the tight up the middle or the vertical passes. You're seeing a lot more risk being taken there uh, because of the targeting rule is, is letting these guys, it's protecting them from getting being hit dangerously. And I'm all for targeting mm-hmm. rules because I think it's helping the game. But I agree with you on the quarterback. There's a lot more confidence in how they're getting hit, but there's also a lot more confidence in these quarterbacks' feelings about throwing the ball over the middle uh, and safeties going out there and, and hitting your quarterback and, and separating him from the ball. And then when you see the, the progression from the days that you coach in the mid-90s at Auburn, I mean, it, it's it, football is now a year-round sport. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a year-round sport. Sport. It always was at college, but we're seeing it now at the high school level. We're seeing it now at the Pop Warner level where these kids go to quarterback camps and they get a certain trainer. We're seeing the, the evolution of the quarterback at a younger age where years ago we didn't see that until they reached college to, to be coached up. Now these kids are already coming in. Elite polished. 11 at, yeah, comes to elite, mind. Yeah. Elite 11 camps. I yeah. mean, these kids are polished and ready. Yeah. They could read coverage at a, at a young age. Yeah, and that's why we're beginning to see I mean we could we're on the precipice of having national championship teams uh, that are led by true freshman quarterbacks in back-to-back years albeit Jalen Hurts obviously right, took the right. majority of the snaps but and he he took them to the championship game a, too as as a rookie as well so yeah you have three in a row which is phenomenal and it speaks to the fact that that you're starting earlier and earlier and and how about young kids that are now participating in spring camp Trevor Lawrence was ahead of the game because he was on campus in January. Mm -hmm. He was matriculated. He was taking classes. He was getting used to that college culture. And then once March and April came by, he was also practicing with his teammates. He was developing rhythm with those young wide receivers as well. So I think this is a trend that we'll start to see more of as we move forward into the future. Yeah. and, And you see quarterbacks that don't play or get beat out transferring because they want to play quicker too. So there's a lot of transition because if a young guy comes in, he beats out a two-year starter. You see that guy transfer. There's Everybody tries to sign a great quarterback every year because you just have to do that to create that competition and depth. But it's almost always causing a young guy steps in, older guy moves over, or young guys come in, and one guy decides if he can't do it, he's got to move to another league. Justin Fields yesterday. We just had the news yesterday. Justin Fields, (laughs) you know, arguably the hottest recruiting a recruited quarterback in last year's class, Georgia for a year, boom, now he's a Buckeye. See, now here's the thing when I, in terms of, I want to get your take in terms of what you look for, because in terms of the quarterback position, it's not, especially at college, I'm not looking for the guy with the strongest arm per se as much. I want a guy that has a strong arm, but I also want the guy that coach, coaches that team up on the, on the field. Right. The guy that says, hey, follow me, we're down by seven, I'm going to lead you from behind. Now, we saw a quarterback last year that got drafted into the first round in Josh Rosen. We had mixed results. I wasn't high on him couldn't win on the road. I want to see those intangibles at the quarterback position. It's not just being able to make every throw. It's being a leader of the offense. And I think that's what you see in both Tua and Trevor oh, yeah. Lawrence. Oh, big time. Teams. At a young age. I mean, these are two kids that can command a, a yeah. huddle. And I think we'll see that more in the future. I don't want to get too much into right. 2019. Yeah. But, you know, both of these quarterbacks have to be in college next year. So I wouldn't be shocked if we're talking about playoff matchups between Alabama and Clemson again next year. Yeah, the two the two key ingredients to any quarterback being successful is not arm strength. I mean, there was always the Elway versus Montana argument. You know, when we were out there on the field when I was coaching, and uh, who can throw the bar of the fathers? It was always a defensive end that could throw it the ball. <laughs> a, quarter, a quarterback that, that does that. But I think accuracy and decision-making are the two most important things. I remember when I was working for ABC as a broadcaster, I went to Purdue to, to interview Drew Brees. Mm. And I watched how nobody recruited him. He didn't have a strong, strong arm. He wasn't very tall. 
but he had great decision-making and great accuracy. And look what not only he did at Purdue, but look what he's done in the NFL. I still think that's still the key. Accuracy, the ability to throw the ball accurately, and then the decision-making of where to throw it, when to throw it, and why to throw it. Great point. And to, to Terry's point, worst decision Nick Saban ever made. <laughs> not ever drafting made. Drew Brees. Not drafting, not taking Drew Brees <laughs> over Dante Culpepper when he was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins because as a Dolphin fan, I'm still feeling the effects. So when we come back, we'll be talking about that dominant Clemson defense. Keep it where it is.